Too much carbon monoxide for me to bear. Oh, yes. Crossing broadcast. Start it over. We'll do it live. Anthony Sampolippo, Kevin Kincaid, Bob Lankel. You read their stuff on CrossingBroad.com. You listen to the podcast. You're now watching live. People who are listening the next day in the podcast feed are going to feel a little bit weird, but it's okay. We are here to bring you Philly Sports Talk. The talk you deserve. Kevin, what's what's that? What was that? Was that a local? What's that? Oh, um, this is a line of Kugels lager here. Where's my camera? Uh huh. Liney Kugels, huh? Yeah, it's good. You can get these in like the uh, sampler packs that they do. Yeah, no, I um, like I like Liney. Yeah. Now let my me wife ask you. Went the, to, uh, the went to a corner right. bar to get these. Did you? Yeah. So you guys went out to get the beers. Is that what you did? We ventured out. Yeah, we. Uh, they're doing takeout at this place around the corner. They have the front door closed to like you know give the give off the vibe that nobody's in there but when you go in the side door there's like 20 people sitting in there just uh chilling like nothing's happening you know i'm totally spooked right and like so i i went out and bought a ton of of goods prior to the you know the events here and so i started to kind of run low i was getting you know i had like light stuff but i wanted to kind of mix in some good stuff so i went to the store on sunday morning it opened at 9 a.m I got there at 8.50. Woman comes rolling in that runs the store at 8.55. I open the door with her, right? The lights aren't even on in the store yet. And she's like, sir, you can come in, but like it's going to take a minute or two for the lights to warm up. I said, don't worry about it. I know where I'm going. I took my <laughs> iPhone out. I had the flashlight. I'm walking down the aisle. It was like mission impossible. I didn't want any contact with anybody else. So I got my beer at like 8.58 on Sunday morning. And I was home by like nine ten. It was beautiful. It was just beer. You didn't get any groceries or anything. You you went no. in the dark just to, no, just to I, get beer. I was willing to expose myself to the coronavirus for craft beer. It hasn't been that bad in in my neighborhood, man. The IGA has been stocked. I mean, it's kind of random the things that aren't there. Like people have are taken all the toilet paper and like specific brands of like bread and stuff are gone. Uh, the almond milk, of course, in in Fishtown is gone. There's no almond milk. Uh, there are there are avocados. That's however, a big so Fishtown item. Yeah, I guess. But uh, nah, man, I don't Cashew know. People milk? are like doing okay. They're keeping some people are keeping their distance. Some people are walking around like bozos, you know. But uh, it was weird walking down to like Frankfurt and Girard last week, and it's a ghost town, and nobody's there, you know. To be there like five thirty on 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 a Saturday, and not a single car going through. Like those are images that you will like never see again. I haven't seen Philly like that. I haven't seen Philly like this really. Probably since Ever. like the po- the Pope was here. Probably since the Pope was here, and they like made you made them close off everything, and the police had everything like blocked off. But that's the only like those this instance and that instance are like the only thing that I can think of that would even come close to that. Anthony, what's Delco been like? It's Delco, man. Come on, Delco is what it is. You know are what I do though? Out like washing themselves in it, or like what? <laughs> no, no. People are just people are just walking around. I mean, there are people. I see them outside all the time. But uh, the one thing I do to avoid the craziness, go to Swiss Farms. They have everything. They have all the stuff you need, and you know, I mean, I'm food wise. Obviously, you ain't getting hand sanitizer or, or paper or uh, toilet paper there. But um, you need bread. You need milk. They always have it, always, and there's never a line. You just drive through. You don't have to get out of the car. 
right? There's no real interaction. There's the one person who slides the door open. They got the, the rubber gloves on, so you don't have to worry about it. And uh, yeah, in and out. And you just never leave your car. It's perfect. I was talking to one of my friends who lives in Fishtown, actually, and he was saying that he's kind of like a little bit spooked right now and that he's thinking about going this weekend down to Salem County in New Jersey, where there's like two confirmed cases of this to go grocery shopping. Like he's like, I'm going to get away from it. I'm getting out of the city. I don't care if it's a 50 minute drive. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm crazy to the point where like I go out for a run around the neighborhood in the morning. And if like someone's walking down the street, like I make sure I run to the opposite sidewalk. Like I'm, I'm totally spooked, man. I, I can't lie to you. We Are you spooked as much as, in. as much as Kyle? As no, much as I'm the not maestro. spooked as much as the maestro, but uh, I'm like a notch or two below that. That's like, he's on. Yeah, there, there's different levels, Kevin. There's, there's Kyle and Jason. You can take a couple steps down to Bob. Yeah. And then down to Russ. And then uh, you, and then and then me. So I Anthony, Bob and I are all that different. You're the least threatened by the coronavirus, is that right? Of course, the least yeah. healthy among us is the one who's the least worried about the <laughs> pandemic that's tearing through the world. Yeah, no, I, I, I am. I, you know, I look. I think, I think we need to do what we need to do. But at the same time, I also think that it's being mishandled. I've we talked about this before. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, there is a lot of fear mongering going on unnecessarily but that's you know why make it a serious conversation i mean you know we have some lighthearted stuff to talk about tonight yeah, like sir anthony dominguez's well, elbow oh big baseball. surprise there huh bob we didn't see that coming now did we hard to believe <laughs> gene gene segura pushing his uh escalade up the street yeah. in order to stay fit yeah. you know so yeah. hold on let's go to do this sir anthony dominguez thing really yeah was it was it july 19th of last year he got oh, yes, hurt exact, in, the exact he got date, hurt June. He got hurt in June okay. last year. And so now he he seems to have been like what hesitant about getting Tommy John surgery and now all of a sudden it's like, oh well, enough specialists have said it's time to get it done, so now they're going to shut him down. Yeah, I mean the, the way that this thing progressed, he he got hurt in the beginning of June and actually like and and people are killing him for this right now, but like James Andrews who's like the, you know, a god when it comes to this stuff, he had recommended the platelet injections. And so um he did that. Nobody really thought, you know, us being uh, observers of this baseball team and the way things have gone with it in the last couple of years, nobody thought it was really going to work out. It didn't. Um, it's amazing to me. And I think that the takeaway really isn't so much about the athlete and his decision to try to avoid surgery. But, you know, I told Kevin today when he did the story, I said, my, my thing with this is that they were a piece or two short in their bullpen to begin with. Then you're relying on Sir Anthony Dominguez paired with a rotation that three, four and five, you have no idea what you're going to get on any given night from, you know, 60% of your rotation. It's just it was predictable. You could see it coming from a mile away, and they are completely ill-equipped to handle this injury. Yeah, I, you know what the thing of it, thing of it is? It, it's that I, the injury is irrelevant to me, Bob. To be honest with you, like we knew, we saw it coming. Like we, you know, whether it was Tommy John or you know trying to come. Look, he's trying to come back from a tough injury, knocked out half a season. And then all of a sudden in spring training, he had like, you know, oh, they're taking their time with him. Real. Then he had like, what, two appearances, three appearances. And was like, well, uh, uh, might have had a little setback. Like we knew it was coming. The, the problem that I have with it is the fact that the Phillies did absolutely nothing to, to uh, put any kind of insurance in place in case this happened. Like we talked about it last year. 
We talked about it in the offseason. Like they should have had something in play. Bring a guy in to be that role. And look, if you just if Dominguez oh, is healthy, oh stop it. If if Dominguez is healthy, right? Then oh great. Then you have an embarrassment of riches in the bullpen for once. And if he's not, at least you had a guy there who could put. Now we're in a situation where if the Major League Baseball season comes back, July one, if that's what we're looking at, fine. The the Phillies bullpen is now it's. It's one person weaker than it was even a year ago when it sucked. So, like, I don't I don't understand what the hell they were thinking. This is Russ's favorite term. Institutional arrogance. There By the is. way, here's a live look at the uh, reinforcements coming to help the bullpen. Those who are is watching live, work? these are the pictures this- that uh, Kevin we- put up. If you're watching on the stream. These are pictures that he put up of the uh, empty streets of Philadelphia. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. And again, like when you have Jake Arietta, Nick Pavetta, Zach Eflin, Vince Velasquez making up the back end, middle and back end of your rotation, I mean, it's just that's going to be a problem. Um, you mentioned July 1st as a start date. I mean, where are we at on that? I know you guys talked a little bit about it last week when we recorded, but, you know, someone had spoken to me uh, about three weeks ago and they had kind of floated out July 4th as a possible start date. And my interpretation of that was like, man, really? Like, are we really talking July at this point? And I thought that that was a pessimistic timeline. And now kind of with, with everything that's happening, what you saw is the city of Toronto and Kevin, I know you had something on Twitter about that earlier as well. Them shutting down through June 30th. Like, are we looking at maybe independence day as the, the mile marker for the start of the baseball season? And do you think that that's realistic at this point? I mean, if you were to give me July 4th in front of empty stadiums, I think I would be fine with that. You know, I'm always going to say, you know, baseball or sports in any form versus no baseball or no sports. You know, I just I, I'm not a fan of people coming out and, and doing these things that are and, and saying, you know, for certainty, what's going to happen three, four, five, six months from now, you know, for Toronto to come out. I think they went back and said, you know, this only affects this event or that event and kind of like specified what they were talking about. But you know, I'll give you a better example, like Kirk Herbstreet coming out and saying, I don't think we're going to have college football or NFL um, this year. Wh- what the fuck does that help? That, do- that doesn't do anything. That doesn't help anybody. You've got people who are like depressed as it is, who are like struggling mentally, like the collective mental health of like everybody is not great right now. He's not a doctor. He doesn't know what's going to happen in September, October, November. So don't come out and say that if it's not going to be helpful. That's not to say like suppressing anybody's free speech or anything like that. But, uh, you know, you have to find this line where, look, uh, if you can offer something positive, cool. uh, But let's be realistic about it and not because we want people to take this seriously. And we don't want them going out and like licking the toilet seat or like coughing on the food in like Luzerne County. You know what I mean? Do you you think that that? these orders have kind of been thrown out there as a way to like kind of get people to understand the, the seriousness of the situation. Like, do you think that that's the benefit of saying, Hey, June 30th, no contact this, no contact that. Like, is, is that the, well, that the point of this? Well, here's the thing, Bob, they could, and Kev, I'll let you respond just one second, but I mean, they, they could throw these out there, say June 30th in Toronto, whatever. But between now and then, if we start to see, that we've flattened the curve or that, you know, things are improving, they can pull it back. Like, you don't have to say, oh, well, we threw this out there. You got to stay on June 30th. Sorry. If they want to pull it back to June 1st or June 15th, they certainly can. 
I just don't think that there's a difference like these bozos who don't take it seriously. Like if you give them two weeks or you give them like two years, they're going to act the same way. Like I've seen these people walking around who are not taking it seriously. Like you can tell them everything on the planet, but I don't think it's going to hit them until, you know, they've uh, like a family member comes down with coronavirus or like a cop comes around and gives them a ticket or there's some kind of tangible like reprimand or something like that. Because, you know, just putting these finite dates on things, you know, Dr. Fauci can go up in front of the country and speak 400 times, but it's not going to resonate with like the 50 year old dude down the street in Fishtown who thinks he's invincible and he's not going to get COVID-19. You know what I mean? So I just don't know if the timeline thing really uh, has any kind of like tangible effect that changes how people behave the, the, the problem the problem that i foresee for the leagues and russ and i talked about this a little bit on snow the goal yesterday is that it's going to be a different time period in each city in this country this is why the nba is smartly trying to put it in put their playoffs in one location because they feel like they can go somewhere where they can guarantee that you know things have eased or relaxed and they can put all 30 teams up in one spot I don't know if I would pick Atlantic City, which we, which Kev wrote about today. But at the same time, it's it's a smart idea. Um, I don't think baseball or hockey would do that, um, but at least gives you an idea of that. Whereas if you if you're trying to wait for these cities, like Florida is going to be six weeks behind the rest of the country because they haven't even they might be six months behind. They haven't even locked down the state yet. I mean, I think that there's what twelve states left that haven't gone on to some stay at home order. I mean, so you're, if you have any professional sports teams in any of those states, you're going to be behind the schedule and, and the, you're not going to be able to play there. Well, since we I recorded would, uh, last night, they they uh, shut down the, the I guess, the southern tip of Florida. They shut down those beaches, but not all of the beaches yet. It's like they're, they're just waiting. <laughs> it's like nobody wants to. I didn't even hear what you said. <laughs> Go, keep Don't talking. Don't worry about, about it. it. See how it feels. It's fine. I'm just. But listen, like you, you, I think they got that idea, Anthony, from like, you know, the Premier League in the UK plays in a much smaller country and there's only 20 teams, you know, and they were talking about these World World Cup style camps where you go to some like castle in the middle of fucking nowhere and you just train there and you live there for four weeks during the turn during the tournament, you know, and, uh, you know, if you put all of them on campus like that and did it like, you know, Summer League in Vegas, which was the article in the New York Post today, which was saying, look, you get all these teams here in a central location, you play it out that way. I mean, that might be the way to go, you know, um, you, you know logistically, what, though, I, it's a lot, it's a lot harder in this country. You can go to when, you Lehigh. About, when you talk about the logistics of that, I feel like that the NFL, it's, it's a little bit more feasible than it is for a college. And to that end, and, and again, I don't want to, um, like, I don't want to use a specific name here or tell you the specific school, but I will tell you, I was told today by somebody that plays, uh, in an area college or at an area college football that they were going to start training or there's some recessions later and that like there's a feel that yeah we're going to play but not a certainty with it you know so for Kirk Herbstreit to say that he would be blindsided or shocked by the fact that they're not going to play this year i think that that's a little bit extreme but i do know that there are coaches that are are concerned about the possibility of not playing this season now the nfl came out today i think it was dave pash the executive vice president of the nfl he said that they're going to probably in in lieu of of having in-person mini camps and the rookie camps like they usually do, they might turn to a virtual reality. But again, like with college football, the logistics and the feasibility of that seems a lot more 
you know, that, that seems questionable to me. So I do wonder how college football is going to work. And I do wonder, even in the best case scenario, are we going to be in a situation where we're ready to pack 60, 70, 80, 90,000 people into a, a stadium come late August, early September, like everything's normal again. And it's getting harder for me to see that. Whereas a month ago, I would have told you you're frigging crazy if there was going to be any alteration whatsoever to the football season. We have a lot of comments coming in. We should probably touch on a, a few. Go ahead, ideas. Russ. Take take us through. All right. So uh, William Gordon points out that Kensington is alive and well. Uh, everyone out on in on Kensington Ave. It's like a that's war good zone. Good to hear, Bill. That's nice to hear. Um, <laughs> Andrew says people aren't paying attention to it. Lots of people still out and about. Uh, Will Gordon says uh, after all this is over, all the food in the stadium is going to be cleaned up, and the new food is going to be an issue. I guess when you go to games, nobody's going to be able to touch your food, so everything's going to just be packaged. Oh, that's interesting. Even the food. That's an interesting in the stadiums. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Well, it's an interesting story too. Like, how is this going to change some things that we do permanently? You know, like nine eleven. You know like what? flying has never been the same since nine eleven. You know, okay, are we going to give you? I got a great idea. Call Aramark. See what they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell people the saga. Don't get me started. What a pain. No, in come the on. Answer. Tell <laughs> the people the saga of trying to get a comment from Aramark on the record about what's happening to their people because a lot of their people reached out in the Crossing Broad Facebook um, DMs and they wanted to know why nobody's like really doing investigative journalism on it. Yeah, I mean, it's really not that complicated. You know, our wheelhouse is the Wells Fargo Center, Sixers Flyers, you know, Citizens Bank Park and stuff like that. So when all this went down, we were trying to figure out, hey, are these part-time arena workers, ticket takers, ushers, stuff like that, are they going to be paid? Is somebody going to take care of them? And the Sixers came back with a statement right away that they were going to pay their game night staff. The Harrison Blitzer were going to pay the Prudential Center people. Comcast Spectacor was going to pay the ticket takers and the ushers and stuff like that. And that just left the food service workers, you know, the people making the cheesesteaks and the pretzels and serving you food to your seat and stuff like that. They're employed by Aramark. You know, they're not employed by Comcast Spectacor. You know, Comcast has the direct business relationship with Aramark as the vendor. Uh, the Sixers are just a tenant in the building, right? So it doesn't fall on those two entities to pay Aramark people. But it's more complicated than that, too. Aramark employs something like 300,000 people in 19 countries. You know, they staff... Kaufman Stadium of, you know, Citizens Bank Park, City Field, you know, so it's, it's, it, you know, basically, I was just reaching out to them saying, look, the Sixers said they're going to do this Comcast said they're going to do this. Do you guys have any kind of statement about what you're going to do with the uh, with the sports complex, right? And just, you know, nothing, they couldn't even like muster a, hey, we haven't come up with a plan right now, or we're going to bullshit a press release and give it to you or stuff like that. And apparently, they're notorious with not responding to people. But, uh, you know, people who are emailing me and who are getting into the uh, crossing broad Facebook messages and stuff like that just said, look, they haven't communicated anything to us. We don't know what we're doing. We think we're just going to have to go on unemployment and take it that way. And, um, yeah, look, it wasn't like we were out to get Aramark or anything like that, but we were just saying like, look, you know, here's a situation. He, he, look, here, here's, here's the thing. I'm kind of burying the lead here. Um, Aramark is a Philly based company. You know, they just moved to 2400 market not long ago and the city gave them tax breaks to do it. Like I think they had like $20 million in tax breaks to go there. So one could make the argument that because they're a local country, there's the onus is on them to, uh, you know, help out, uh, step up and try to, you know, put some money into this. Right. I mean, far be it for me to tell the billionaires what to do, but I think everybody's looking to them in a situation like this and saying, Hey, can you step up to the plate and help out? We're in a global fucking pandemic right now. And, uh, you know, to like Josh Harris's credit, they got ripped for the employee furlough plan last week. They apologized for it 12 hours later. And then they made two huge donations yesterday. 
So, um, you know, people like remember that stuff. They're keeping track of like who with resources is helping out and who isn't and not to make it a political thing. But like, you know, I think some of these corporations got to kind of read the room and see what the scene looks like right now. And all you got to do, I'm not telling you, you got to pay your people down there or whatever, but just like answer a fucking email, you know? Amen, brother. What else you got over there, Russ? Who else is commenting? Um, There wasn't anything new uh, over there. There were a couple of ideas thrown out there about baseball. So if Bob, let me throw this to you. Yeah. If the season weren't to start until let's say the beginning of July, let's say July 1st is is the date. How many double headers do you think the players association is going to be comfortable with going? Because like at some point you've got to think that like you want to get as many of these games in, but at what cost? Physically at least or does the does Major League Baseball decide that you know maybe it's worth having us expand our rosters? for the entire season just to make up for the fact that there's probably going to be so many back-to-backs. Yeah. I think that this is a fluid situation and, and they'll probably uh, I think have to evaluate on the go. Like a, a May 15th start date is a lot different than a June 15th start date is a lot different than a, a July 4th start date. You know, I guess the indications are that the players want to play as many games as possible. The players association basically came out and said they're willing to play as late as they need to. They're open to the idea of double headers. I mean, t- to your original question, I think that, and Anthony, I-, I don't know how you feel about this. I, I would say if-, if you're starting on July 1st and you're going through maybe to mid-November, th- the schedule probably would call for six to eight double headers just to try to gain back, you know, a week and a half, two weeks of action. I think that they're they're headed for, like, at best, at best, a 100-game schedule at this point. And I-, I think that that's optimistic. I think that's what they want, Bob. I think they want 100 games. Um, and if you start July 1st and you're willing to go into November, you're probably looking at having to add about 18 to 20 games. There's and no and at, that, at that point, you're looking at, eight, at nine, ten doubleheaders yeah. like, over the course not, of three months. Well, I think that they could do it. Eight's the number that kind of jumps out at me. Um, I just don't think you can do it every week. Like, I don't think you can do every Sunday be a doubleheader. I just... but I mean, maybe that's... Again, this is unprecedented. To me, that seems unthinkable, but... You know, but if you expand, well, what if you expand the rosters though? Yeah, if you expand the rosters to like, let's say, do you think they go a full like? They're not going to go full like classic forty man expansion. No, but I think they might go like twenty eight. Yeah, I mean, and in that event, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Where do you guys guys stand in terms of like which? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, did you guys notice that today was kind of like the day where a bunch of these uh, media layoffs and furloughs started? with the USA Today newspapers and Sports Illustrated and Trey Thomas was let go by 97.5. And we had the Beasley story last week about the the pay reduction and the... Not a surprise. It's the end of the first quarter, right? Yeah. I think a lot of, uh, you know, it's probably Captain Obvious kind of statement, but I think a lot of these uh, decisions are probably in the pipeline. And now the coronavirus is a convenient excuse to execute on some of these things that were planned for the longest time. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, I can't imagine certain media companies using... uh, tragedy to cut costs anyway yeah. <clears throat> um let's let me let me throw this out to everybody if we had to handicap which uh league is most likely to come back the earliest you got baseball hockey basketball we'll even throw an mls for kevin and me what do you think comes back first 
I'll, I'll field this. You know, I feel like it's the NHL's nature to be like, hey, we're back out there quicker, right? Like, if you just look at hockey players in general, like, they're back out on the ice before other athletes would typically return. But I think that the NBA's a forward-thinking league. Um, I think that, you know, they're already looking at neutral sites when they resume. I think that the NBA is going to be the first league back. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think Bob was right originally. I think it's the NHL, and I think it's because they need the they need the revenue uh, of the uh, of in person games. Again, it's going to be dictated by if they're allowed. But if, if if they say you can start having, you know, gatherings again, public gatherings again, it's going to be the NHL because they the difference between the TV revenue between the NHL and the other three sports is astronomical. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars difference. So they need the revenue from games more than the other three sports do and i think that that's why they'll try and get back to get get some regular season games in before the playoffs if they can do you foresee them now resuming into a a regular season model or do you think this is going to be you know what hey listen this is going to take a while we're going to have to go right to a play a great question Prior to prior to today, I thought this was absolutely they want to get back into a regular season thing. And then Toronto comes out and announces that they're shutting down right. through June 30th, which made it seem like, well, there's no way in hell they can get the regular season done now. Um, but then I think, Kevin, they, they pulled back. That was that clarified, bit, right? Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, sorry. Sport. I was looking at the comments here. Uh, Christian says that golf uh, will be first. What were, what were you, um, what were you uh, asking? Well, me? Yeah, sorry. golf. golf to- probably Toronto, the Toronto announcement didn't include sports. They walked that back almost immediately. Because yeah, um, of course Canada Canada can't not have hockey, right? Yeah. So so yeah, to what yeah. Anthony was saying um, though, like there there is something to be said for like the idea of them wanting to go to still having regular season games. So yesterday, uh, we were on a conference call with Chuck Fletcher, who you know Anthony likes to go by the law of threes, is what he said on when you ask a guy a question, the third time is is when you're most likely to to I guess give an inkling of where you really stand. And he made it sound like he wanted to see regular season games, that they want to play as much hockey as possible. Uh, it was what time tonight, Anthony? It was 8.30 we were on with, uh, yeah, with James, James Van Riemsdyk. Yep. And he he was – I thought a bunch of his answers were interesting. I live tweeted it as it was going on. But he said that there's so much uncertainty, and it really does depend on when they're able to return to play. Just in general, that'll dictate if regular season happens or not. But he did say that like the the thought is and the hope is that they get regular season games back in. But he did say, and this is maybe where there's a little bit of that pivot, that some of the rumors that have been going around about a, a modified playoff format, maybe going to a 24-team uh, tournament-style playoff, maybe you're talking about something where you expand the playoff field to more teams. He did say that in the event that they can't get regular season games in, this could be a really cool opportunity for the league to pilot doing some kind of a creative format for the postseason because there's there's never been a precedent like this. And he, he went I, back to it a few I, times saying it could be a cool opportunity to try something new, assuming they can't get regular season games in. So and, it and is because even if even if even if the um uh, the old heads who are traditionalists and don't want to see things change too often, it, it would be a reason for them to get on board, right? Because they sit there and say, oh, all right, well, the reason that they're doing this is because yeah, you know, I mean, if coronavirus. To try something okay. different, this would be the year to do it. I mean, And then if it turns out to be really cool, then you can, then you can adopt it, right? So I think that that's kind of the what JVR was kind of saying there. And Kev, how do you, how do you kind of see the NBA resumption of of the season 
taking place? Like what, what will that look like in your, in your estimation at this point? Well, I think you make a good point when you talk about them being like cutting edge and wanting to be like at the forefront of everything. You know, they were the first league to shut down, but they also did have the first positive case, you know, but they always want to be like ahead of the curve with everything, you know, so I could see them going to Vegas and doing the centralized location kind of thing. And then we joke about Atlantic City, but you could fit all 30 teams and some into Revel, you know, or whatever the hell it's called now. You know, there's a lot of empty space there. There's a lot of hotel space. But uh, yeah, I could see them doing like a, you know, centralized location, play like three or four games to finish out the regular season and then go straight into the playoffs. You know, I mean, I just I, I keep coming back to this idea of like, I don't really care how far back the seasons are pushed as long as you finish these seasons and crown a champion like right. to cancel the to cancel the playoffs and whatever is pointless like nobody gives a flying fuck about regular season games in october and november push it back play the playoffs crown a champion if you want to crown them then crown their ass then chop a bunch of games off the beginning of next year and play like a 50 game schedule then you know i mean that makes the most sense like i don't i don't how, how can you sit here and say well the season's over i mean that's a that's so disrespectful to teams like milwaukee or la that are having great seasons this year and you're just going to throw that in the trash because you want to get back on schedule for what you know how um like you guys are you guys are pretty well versed i mean in the business side of this i suppose how advantageous is it for any one of these leagues to be the first one back like do you think that there is any sense of competition in like hey we need to have a plan in place because we need to be the first show back in town because if we are every eyeball in america is going to be on us i mean how how real do you think the competition is to be first look at what dana white's trying to do right now you know, I mean, that's a perfect example. He's trying to do he's trying to make Khabib versus Tony happen anywhere possible because he knows if he's the only show in town, every single set of eyeballs is going to be on there. You got guys like talking about the Belarus soccer league on Saturday because they were playing, you know, people will watch and gamble on anything, as you well know. So there is an opportunity here, uh, you know, to try to you know, to walk the line and be the first one to come back and say, Hey, this is a, this is where we have the spotlight here, but you know, you, then you risk being an asshole too. Cause then they're saying, okay, well, are you like, are you being safe here? You know, or are you endangering people? You know, Dana White's trying to make it happen. I thought he had a good idea to move these fights to Vegas where they have a private facility. It's like a brand new facility where they have an octagon in there and they can just do essential personnel really to have an MMA fight. You only need Two fighters, a referee, you know, corner men, cut men, stuff like that. You can probably do the whole thing with 15 people, um, you know, but the Nevada Athletic uh, Commission said that we're not going to do that. So he's been trying to do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to answer the question, there is competition to get back to being first. You know, the NHL could have the most eyeballs it's ever had on it, you know. I will say one thing, though. The one sport that doesn't need that to happen is the NBA. They don't yeah, need to rush yeah, back. They're fine. As, because yeah, they're, they're going to get – I could see a, a sport that's lower on the totem pole trying to get back first because everybody's MLS. clamoring clamoring for sport. So mm-hmm. MLS or NHL, uh, you know, even golf. I mean, if golf I mean, comes back first, I mean, that that, that would be – that people would watch. So I think I could see those sports wanting to do it more so than the NBA per se. To, to my knowledge, the NBA is the only one that, that a lot of the loudest rumors have been that they've already thought about contracting next season. Not in terms of the, the schedule itself, but like eliminating games outright to make sure that they finish this season. And because 
it was what the Atlanta Hawks owner was the one who's been for a long time talking about why don't we start the NBA season on Christmas and then have it go deeper into the summer because it's kind of this uncharted territory. It really is. You're competing against Major League Baseball and they don't even consider, obviously, MLS com- you know, competition. So I-, I do think, and Anthony and I have talked about this a lot over on Snow the Goalie, but like I, I do think there's a-, a real advantage here to the NHL to decoupling their timeline from the NBA to make themselves special in some way. If that ends up being that they see that the NBA is going to push next season off to around Christmas and, and go with this new kind of schedule, then maybe the NHL tries to get things structured that they come back at their normal time so they have longer than the typical month difference between the seasons. Maybe they get you know two months where it's obviously you're going to go up against the NFL on Sundays, but outside of that, you're kind of the only show in town. I think this is almost like the inverse of, of what we saw um, when the leagues were all starting to shut down. Like I was of the belief that the NHL would probably, if they could, try to be the last show to close up shop because they knew that they would be the only you know show in town. They'd be uh, much more likely to have eyeballs on them from casual fans and people who, who otherwise wouldn't care about the sport. You've got to take the sports gambling component of this in as well. Like there's so much money to be, you know, wagered on live games, it, the the ratings themselves, if you're the NHL, if you can figure out a way to play these games in empty arenas, if you can figure out a way to get the regular season finished, or even if it's being the first league back and you go straight to the tournament style, imagine the hunger for that kind of a tournament, given that March Madness was canceled. I mean, yeah, you can you can just kind of see the dollar signs light up in the eyes of the owners, right? But the players have to be on board with it as well. And that's where the, the whole escrow thing Anthony explained on, on, on the other show kind of comes into play. But there, there's a real advantage a, to being the only show in town. From a sports betting app, from a sports betting perspective, I, I will say this, um, you know, obviously the economy is just is being completely obliterated by this. People are, you know, struggling to pay bills, their mortgages, their rents, <laughs> You know, all of that goes without saying, but when things do resume, the appetite from the, the a sports betting front is going to be unprecedented. I mean, I, I know that a lot of people say, well, like, you know, there's going to be so many people that are so jammed up financially that they're, they're not going to be as willing to come back to the table and, and bet. And I, I got to tell you, I think that we're going to see absolute windfalls if and when sports resume here. Um and I know that in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty trivial, but I, I think that you're seeing these sports books, they're just trying to hang on. And the, and the impact in that industry right now, it's just, I, I think you're going to see a very different landscape in a couple months when things do resume, because some of these smaller sports books, the legal ones that are operating right now in PA and in New Jersey, I don't think they're going to be able to survive this. Can I give you a positive theoretical scenario? Um, say everything gets pushed back, um, you know, we'll just pick like September, August or September, right? And uh, NBA starts up at the same time as NHL, as MLS, UFC, golf, um, college football is getting started. I mean, we do have the potential here to have like everything going on at the same time. You know, you're going to go from like barren wasteland to like all kinds of crap to watch. You could sit on your couch all day long. I'm sure most people are already doing that anyway. But, um, you know, I mean, there's there's like a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to, you know, all this stuff sort of coming out at the same time. But I think to the to the DraftKings fan, you know, all all that stuff, uh, 
sports betting angle. I mean, even, you know, just uh, getting these games up and running again unlocks sectors, uh, you know, portions of the private sector that help the economy get going again. You know, sure. and you got to weigh that too. If you can safely do it, if you can safely do anything to help restart these these portions of the private sector uh, that keep people employed and and keep the wheels turning, then I think you have to weigh that as much as possible. You know, if you can do it safely, you know, that's why I think like some of these people who are saying like, well, next year, this year, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta weigh those equally. And if you can make it happen, then you make it happen. Yeah. And, and just to finish the thought about the sports books, like your, your major players like FanDuel and DraftKings, they obviously are at the forefront of this industry to begin with. And now I think that they're only going to be stronger when things do resume. Now, don't get me wrong. They're taking a huge hit in the interim, but they are better equipped to withstand what has happened here over the last month and moving forward over the next couple months. Whereas, you know, your lesser known books, I think, are, are going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, like we're not going to trash any of the other sports books because uh, there are affiliate deals uh, in place with uh, good old Crossing Broad. The maestro would have a coronary if he uh, heard us bashing. But it's pretty clear if you go on to some of these other sports books and you take a look, the infrastructure is not there, the user friendliness isn't there. I, it to me it's it's almost an interesting thing because I I like to listen to a lot of food podcasts so like Dave Chang is is fantastic he's got Ugly Delicious on Netflix and everything the the, the chef community has been talking about how there need to be protections in for small businesses and these stimulus packages because otherwise you could theoretically look at a scenario where you come back and the only players in the restaurant industry are your like Subways your McDonald's. And only the, the large chains, meanwhile, all the mom and pop shops, all of your diners, all of your small restaurants that in recent years have gotten so much traction because people like to eat locally, locally sourced and everything, they're all gone and all you're left are the big ones. It kind of plays in the same way here. I mean, obviously, there's not a mom and pop sports book, right? Uh, but the, the point still stands that like DraftKings, who sponsors our show, thank you. And like, you know, FanDuel and such, like they're going to be fine to Bob's point. There are some of these places like DraftKings in certain states have online casinos that are legalized. And and so that kind of can help yeah. to keep them afloat as well. Some of these sports books also have partnerships with poker sites. So they, they can still get some kind of revenue. And the idea is, I guess, that, you know, for some people who are going to look to 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 gamble in, in any way, shape or form anyway, they do have the ability to go out and and you know, do some kind of gambling through the same sort of app or portal. But a lot of these other companies don't have it. And the likelihood of some of these books having to just, you know, close down shop. I mean, Barstool. Uh, Russ, are right? you like telling Barstool me that, that uh, we're all going to be eating at Applebee's and just betting on DraftKings come September? Yeah, Is that what you're telling it. me? But like, think about it, like Barstool and Penn National, right? Like the yeah. the, the deal goes through. And I think it went from forty dollars a share down to like six, and it's yeah. rebounding now. But it's rebounding, yeah. But I mean, imagine that the barstool it, brand to Penn National Gaming right now is absolutely critical. I mean, people would say like, "Oh wow, Barstool really lucked out; they sold at the right time." And you know, PNG would probably like to have that back. Uh, I don't think so, actually. Um, I think that that they're they're going through some really tough financial struggles right now. But on the other side of this, to Kevin's point, when things do resume, they're going to stand to benefit from it greatly. Uh, I like this comment over on uh, Twitter. Sam says, visit your local craft sports book. We also had a nice <laughs> comment over here uh, from Brian John on Facebook, who says, thank you for putting the show on. I've been so stressed out and this is an excellent escape. That's what we're here for. There you go. 
Yeah, no problem. You guys feel special? You should. Yeah. I uh, Bill Gordon also says that this is like watching Hollywood Squares. Which one of you is Whoopi? Anthony looks like her the most. With yeah. It's not me. I want. I no. But see, I, I I go back to the older Hollywood Squares, um, with Jim Jim J Bullock. What's the newer Hollywood Squares? Yeah, up in the corner. Exactly. Paul Lynn Godfrey. See, you guys don't remember these guys. Like early two thousands. How 2000s. old are you? Forty six. Right, that's yeah. It's kind of yeah. old. Kind of, kind of old. Kind of. A question uh, here about the the Phillies. Yeah, John Santos <laughs> says, uh, "What implications does the virus have on JT Realmuto staying with the Phillies? Does the time off help to potentially get a deal done?" I don't think they made a change to the policy, right? Like the the working knowledge was that if the baseball season is canceled, guys will still this will still count as a year, right? So JT in theory could have played his last game as a Philadelphia Philly if this season yeah, gets canceled. I'm going to borrow uh, one of Kevin's favorite phrases. Uh, two things can be true here. I don't think that the Phillies have handled the JT Real Muto situation particularly well. Um, And yes, he could, if there is no baseball season, have already played his last game as a Philly, which is kind of crazy to think, especially when you consider what they gave up to to get him. Um, That being said, my sense of this is that things have not gone as the Phillies would have hoped to this point, but I don't think that two things i don't think that the season happening either on a delay at all whatever i don't think that that's necessarily going to impact the deal or the ability for these two sides to reach an agreement and though i am not particularly encouraged by anything that this front office has done since its arrival in philadelphia i i would still if i had to bet on it if you asked me do I think the JT Romuto is going to be back next year? I do. I think that the Phillies are going to have to step up. They've had so many different PR hits over the last year. And you say, like, well, they went out and signed Bryce Harper. What do you mean? But really, since the beginning of last season, nothing has gone well for this organization. I think that there's an immense amount of pressure. And if JT Romuto wants to play hardball with the Phillies, ultimately, I think the Phillies are going to bend over and get the deal done. I think Bob's 100% right on that. I think that they they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. They have to bring him back. Like you can't do things just for the sake of of public perception. Like you can't be afraid to make a move just because your fans are going to be pissed off at you. That's bad business, but when you just take every single factor into consideration, the perception of this team right now, this hey, they're willing to to kind of make an effort to win, but they're not all in. Like I think this fan base is kind of lukewarm on the Phillies right now because they get the sense that this is an organization that talks a big game, that's doing a little bit to try to win, but they're not doing everything at their disposal to, to win. And I think if you let JT Romuto walk after this, it, it's just going to be a really hard sell for a fan base that hasn't seen playoff baseball in, in a decade. And I, I just think I, I would be stunned if they can't get – on the same page, even if that requires five years, $120 million. And I think that realistically that may be what we're looking at at this point, but I do think it's going to get done. Um, that That's my best guess. Did, um, did you guys make anything of the Eagles news that came out this week? Was that, is that like Instagram posts by a defensive end in Jacksonville or, I mean, you got Ngakwe, you know, they went and signed Roby Coleman, um, which Josina Anderson broke, unfortunately. Thanks, Josina. Every time that, 
Every time she breaks a uh, Eagles story, like a little bit of me dies inside, like a little piece of me dies. I went back and I did that story uh, yesterday. That, uh, yeah, yesterday about like just going back through all this crap and trying to like see if there's any evidence we have that proves that Alshon is actually her source. And uh, there really, there really isn't anything. You know, I mean, you had Howard Eskin who came out and said he is the source and everybody seems to believe it. And, you know, people were just sort of connecting, uh, you know, it's like a lot of smoke and a lot of fire because she had had used him on the record for information before. You know, I talked to Alshon Jeffrey, blah, blah, blah. You know, Alshon Jeffrey says this, Alshon says that. And they had a relationship going back to Chicago, but she knows a lot yeah. of dudes and they give her information, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, everybody just sort of seems to believe it. But really, when you go back and look through it, there's nothing Actually, it's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but there's nothing concrete, which is interesting. Everybody just sort of believes it now, you know, that someone would have come out and denied it or or shot it down. If it wasn't him, the fact that nobody said anything yeah. other than Josina, not, not yeah. even Alshon yeah. came out and said it's not, that he wasn't the guy. Sorry. Well, you know what a good com- you know what a good comparison is? Sorry, Bob, you know what a good That's comparison right. is when when the Santa Liquido. Right uh, story came out about Wentz. You know, you had Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, and I don't know, maybe I'm forgetting some other people that came out like vehemently and were like, "Look, this shit ain't true." You right, know? right. Um, you know, but did anybody come out and defend Alshon when people were accusing him of? Yeah, I mean, Doug no. Peterson had the opportunity too, and he he could have said, "You know, this is our guy. We believe in him," and blah blah blah. But nobody did. So you know, if you want to read between the lines and try to do it that way. You could probably put two and two together, but again, it's still all circumstantial. There's nothing that's actually concrete. So. Welcome, so to, welcome here, to sports. Is, is he here just because of money? Is he here just because of the salary and, and the way that the contract's structured? I mean, or do you think that, you know, they said, hey, listen, yeah, he's he's had some things to say and we don't love it, but, you know, all things considered, when you look at our, our current wide receiver group, you know, he's probably not going to be ready for the start of the season, but – you know, hey, we, we got to bring them back, and, and this is what it is. It, it probably it's hard the, to, but it's probably right after they decide. You know, see what happens at the draft, and I mean, they can make a decision after June first, right, and save a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. spread it out. I think over a couple, whatever the case might be. But I think that I think it's a situation where they can afford to be a little bit more patient with it yeah, and not know. have to jump to conclusions just yet. Well, and it's interesting, too, because uh, Howie Roseman comes out and says, there's no issue between Alshon Jeffrey and Carson Wentz, and it's all good, and we want him to be healthy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, the thinking is that you just kind of talk him up and get him healthy, and then you try to flip him for, like, a sixth rounder or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to take anything they say at face value, you know. Uh, it was hard to take anything they say at face value even before they went out and said that Mike Grow and Carson Walsh are coming back and then they shit canned them 24 hours later, you know, which was like a disaster. And I had people like coming, people coming at me on Facebook saying it wasn't a disaster to get rid of them. I'm like, no, it's it's a public relation. It, it looks bad from a public relations standpoint. I don't think people understood what the term PR disaster meant. It's right. not a disaster that you fired these people that you got rid of them because I think everybody wanted to get rid of them in the first place. It was a PR disaster because literally 24 fucking hours ago, you said you weren't going to do what you did today. So that was kind of what the problem was with that. But oh, oh, Russell got How a chance. To do that, man? He's been like, I got to get a drop in. I got to drop one in. Finally. But yeah, the other kind of like peripheral things. I mean, honestly, dude, think about where would some of these media outlets be right now if it wasn't for NFL free agency and the draft going on, you know, and I got to like I got to give a lot of props to Roger Goodell because the general managers recommended to him that they push the draft back. And he was like, nah, fuck y'all. 
we're going to do this. It's very important that we do this because people are looking forward to something, you know, and when yeah. you can do something like that, where you can say, Hey, we're in a situation right now that's affecting a lot of things in life and affecting a lot of sports fans, we're going to forge and do this anyway, and we can do it in a safe way. And that's sort of like a middle finger to the coronavirus. Not like the virus can tell that it's being flipped the bird, but you know what I mean? Figuratively, it's like a morale boosting kind of thing when you can tell people, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do the draft anyway, and we're not going to let this adversity kind of cancel what we're doing. I mean, if you think about it, the NFL draft is basically just a glorified conference call anyway. I mean, it's like what we're doing right now. I right. could sit here and say, I take this guy and you take that guy because they're all sitting in their individual war rooms anyway. They don't have to be there. Roger Goodell isn't going to be able to do his, his bro hugs, you know, with Jerry Judy and, you know, all these other dudes. But um, I think the fact that he recognizes the like the the morale, like like boosting like side of this, I think speaks to me because they can do it in a safe way and they can give people something that they're looking for. Also, here's the thing. The draft is three days, right? Uh, we're trying to get people to stay inside and not go outside, right? What better way to keep people inside than to have them glued to their TVs watching the draft? You know, I would go with Adam Schefter's idea and I would make the draft as long as possible. I wouldn't even make it seven days. I'd make it 10 days. I would do a half a round every day. Like do whatever you can to stretch it out because you're the only show in town. Yeah. You know, I had some, some guy come at me on Twitter and bitch oh, because he's like great proposals in that at dead time too. That's yeah, true. yeah, no, exactly, I mean, exactly. You, I mean, you might, that, that is what made the work. second round that much more important, right? When they moved it to the second day. Well, yeah, yeah, because you were right, because you were stretching it out. You know, I mean, you're the only show in town. I mean, you might as well take advantage of it. Uh, God knows that the NFL is propping up everybody now. Think about the, what this Philadelphia Eagles news has done for the last three weeks of a bunch of local outlets. I mean, what the hell would they be writing about if there if this wasn't going on right now? The Inquirer has only had to reassign a couple sports guys to news beats temporarily because there's been enough Eagles news to get by with so far. You know, Sealski and um, as is it Giuliano, I think, are doing like news feature stuff for them right now. But everybody else has been able to get by on the on the on just the day to day news of, you know, what's happening with the Eagles and free agency and the draft and stuff like that. So. This is really like keeping a lot of a lot of things normal right now. So let me ask you guys, because I, I think Howie Roseman's kind of tipping his hand on this, and I think it ends up being uh, pretty pretty bad for him in terms of the trade market. By not going after any kind of a wide receiver in free agency, like I thought that, what's his name, Perriman from Tampa Bay would have been potentially a decent pickup, didn't cost a lot of money. Obviously, Diggs cost a boatload of picks that nobody would have been comfortable trading my man hopkins was available but like at this point let's say that howie wants to get in on how do you say the guy's name from jacksonville Ngakwe. let's say he wants to get in on Ngakwe. it's pretty clear that howie roseman's plan right now you would think based on not going after anybody in free agency is that he's going to look to trade up to draft a dynamic receiver that he's going to be able to pair with Carson Wentz, right? So at this point, doesn't that then allow Jacksonville's GM to try to hold his his feet over the fire? Like To me, this is a, a, a terrible miscalculation on the part of Howie by not at least going out and getting some kind of a veteran wide receiver that you haven't played your hand. Because right now, this receiving court certainly isn't any better than they were a year ago. If you wanted to make the case that Nelson Aguilar, in theory, could try to return to the 2017 form, fine. But he's gone. And you're, what, going to go back out thinking that Greg Ward and, and the decrepit, broken-down, frail body of Deshaun Jackson is going to carry you to the promised land? Like, no, it's clear they've got to go after a receiver in this draft. And now, how he's kind of 
dug a grave for himself. What if I make a, a really crazy prediction for you, Russ? The Eagles don't take a wide receiver in the first round. There's actually been some increasing buzz about that. Um, Todd McShay, actually, I think he had a two-round mock, and, and they didn't draft, or he doesn't have them taking a receiver in either of the first two rounds. I think he went linebacker and corner in rounds Stupid. one and two. And, you know, obviously the Eagles are going to be linked to every single wide receiver in this draft. But, yeah, I mean, Anthony, to your point, I could see them saying, like, hey, it, there's so much value at other positions. Let's load up here and and we'll piece it together. And I think the Eagles truly believe that they have a top five quarterback in the NFL. I, do, I don't, uh, but they do. And I, I I could see them saying, hey, yeah, you know what? We are going to gamble on this. Not that they won't add a receiver in some capacity, but – I don't know that we're going to get that stud 1A guy that that everybody uh, seems to be hell-bent on. Unless, unless there's a chance to go up and get a guy like Jerry Judy. I mean, that's... Well, they're gonna, yeah, but they're going to go around, what, 11, 12, 13? I mean, kind of in that, the, the three big names are, are all going to go right in that, that spot, right? I mean, disaster scenario, and I think Kevin's with me on this, and I know he's a big college football guy, and, and I'm not trying to exclude either of you two. I, I don't know to what extent you are, but the the one disaster scenario that I just keep coming back to is Justin Jefferson. I just think that that would be, uh, that would be majorly disappointing. Uh, he's like Jordan Matthews without the size that that's mm-hmm. my comp to Justin Jefferson. It is. He, he had a great career at LSU. I just don't, I don't think it translates to a, a first round talent in the NFL. Well, just a lot for- of that too was, was Joe Burrow just making him look really good. Um, you know, and you get to a situation where I could see them easily like the, the other receivers come off the board, you know, in the teens or, or whatever, you know, um, Lamb and Judy and Rugs or whatever, and then the Eagles are kind of like panicking when they're sitting there and they trade up like three friggin' spots to get Jefferson. You know, it's like such an Eagles Eagles kind of move. You know, sometimes those work out. Like when they traded up, like what did they trade up like six spots to get Fletcher Cox back in the day? Um, but even then, he was a tw- number twelve overall pick. He wasn't like in the twenties or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I watched Lamb. I watched CD Lamb play live. I was actually at the Oklahoma West Virginia game in Oklahoma, and I just think something about Big Twelve receivers. Um, it kind of makes me like shy away from them just because there's no defense at all. And, like, the defenses are really. Right? I don't know, man. Like, like same kind of thing. It's hard to. Yeah. I, I will say this: uh, there's a more local. Uh, someone that's a little bit more close to us that, that people are pretty excited about and KJ Hamler. I, I got to say again, I, I know a lot of people you have that Eagles PSU connection. People are talking about how he's really good friends with miles Sanders. I don't believe that he's a second round wide receiver either. And, and he's being hyped to the moon right now. Guy does not, I mean, he doesn't go up and get footballs. I know he's got speed, but he's, he's a body catcher. Everything is, is here. I'm not going to pretend to be a draft guru, but like I do look at this a little bit. I do watch a lot of college football, and I just have a feeling that that he's a guy that that isn't going to – not that he can't be a productive professional football player, but I don't believe that he's going to warrant a second-round pick. Bob, I'll have you know that in 2007, I was a voter for the AP – for college football. I, I did not know that. I, I'm not trying to, yes. by any means, <laughs> college football knowledge. That was not meant to be a slight. 
Do you guys are you guys like into mock drafts and all that bullshit? Yeah, like, I, do you read those I, I hate, and look at? Them? I, I hate mock drafts. I credit the people that sit down and do the seven round simulations and they're evaluating people from Western Kentucky. I'm like, I don't know how the hell you guys have time to do this stuff. But like, I'll look at the guys that are relevant to the Eagles. Like, I'll go in and like, I'm not going to turn on the uh, the all twenty two and like try to pretend that I'm a a draft guru or anything like that. But I you do you certainly you watch certain guys play. You watch long enough. You know what these systems look like. You know what the conferences look like. You're talking about how it translates with Big 12 receivers. And, like, you do. You, sometimes you just kind of get a hunch on certain guys. And Justin Jefferson and, and Hamler, for me, like, I know that the Eagles are, are wide receivers starved, but they, they both give me pause. Jalen Rager, to answer your question, Bob, he was kind of a tough evaluation because TCU really wasn't very good the last couple of years. They were like damn good before that, but it's the same thing with lamb too. I mean, Oklahoma really didn't have any competition. In the big 12, it's just so hard to evaluate. At least when you look at these sec receivers are playing against sec defenses, like guys who are going to be in the NFL. So the film that comes out on them is just, you know, a lot better. You know, you think of like, um, like a good example is like uh, Corey, um, Corey Coleman who came out of Baylor. Like a couple of years ago, he was really, really damn good. And he's like bounced around, got injured, you know, Browns, Jets and stuff like that. So it's just hard to like, like value, evaluate those guys accurately, you know? Yeah. And the thing with Reger too, like he had 43 catches, I think last year, a little over 600 yards, like not super productive. Like he's a guy where you like, you look at the film and he zips around and you're like, oh, wow, he has the explosiveness. He has all these, you know, athletic elements that you want, but the production wasn't really there. And again, to your point, TCU wasn't, wasn't great. And that no. was part of it. So. Let me, um, Russ. Did you have anything else on the on the rundown that you wanted to get to? No, I did just Let see me just... on Twitter that uh, Major League Baseball today had on their, I guess MLB at home thing on Twitter, uh, Roy Halladay's no hitter against the Reds in the postseason, and it, it made me feel all kinds of ways. Are you guys watching a bunch of like old replays and stuff? Because I found that there's a shelf life on that. I think after I watched like two or three old things, it was just kind of hard to like really get into it. I was watching some of the Phillies video yearbooks uh, just to kind of kill some time a couple days ago. But like I can't get into the full game replays. Like no matter how historic or classic the game is, like if you put on World Series Game Five, two thousand eight, I I don't want to watch it in its entirety. Like I'm so let me say let me say this: I get tired of watching the same classics over and over and over again i but i say if you go on and put like a you know a random old game on just for nostalgic purposes i could sit there and watch it like not like as I, you know you you know the outcomes you remember the outcomes of all those other games and sure you can look up just some random game but you know put on a a game from 1993 random you know in-season game. I, I just picked that year because it was a, everybody loves the Phillies. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't Russ know if Philadelphia, over there, because Philadelphia like, loves losers. We like no. losing teams more than we like the ones that actually sealed the deal. Did you, you, you weren't you, you barely alive in 93. You don't even know what it was like true. here then. Please stop it. Did you see um, the green story in the Enquirer about the uh, guy from uh, PHL 17? He was an intern at, at PHL 17 in, 90, uh, in 93 or in the late 90s. And I guess it was a few years after the 93 season. And he saved all the tapes. They were being thrown out. And so he uploaded all of these VHS tapes that were about to be discarded to YouTube. And you can go back and watch almost any game from the 93 Philly season and a bunch of other ones. Like, you know, and, and to your point, Anthony, like it's super interesting. Like I could I almost know the, the Super Bowl a couple years ago in right. at this point. But like right. to go back and just see the way the game looked on TV in 93 to see like the yeah, graphics and like 
Pete Incavilia come up in the fourth inning of a random game. Like all that stuff is kind of cool from a nostalgia standpoint. And, Gel- and Gelb-, a- Gelb did a fun thing on opening day um, when he did a thing. I think it was Gelb, right? That did it. Was it on? Yeah. I think I read it on the Athletic. Where, um, yeah, the- they did a uh, what was it? 19- one of the opening day in Shea Stadium in nineteen eighty. Yeah, I think it was like the late eighty nine. Yeah. yeah. And he did like a breakdown, and so the game's on there, and like, and he does like a time, like a time stamped. Hey, here's what happens here. Check this out. Check it. It's like all these neat little things that you get to see, and it's kind of fun to go back and watch that. Like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Hey, how about that? I couldn't tell you what happened in that game. I didn't. I didn't remember the 1989 season opener, but they lost. Uh, I would not have known. And if I sat there and watched that game, I would have enjoyed it. It would have been a nice hour and 50 minutes of of time sans commercials right that'd been kind of cool the tough thing i think about it too is that when you watch these replays and you're like kind of getting nostalgic like you're kind of get depressed at the same time too because you're like i want to see this shit current day you know i want to yeah, see yeah. the current iteration of this team and so you're like okay i, I think it just has like a shelf life it, one like the, the here at, at 10 13 on a, a tuesday night and i'm watching espn right now and it's the uh Braves and Mets uh, post 9-11 comeback game right now on ESPN. Like, it's just, it's not like we're watching ESPN Classic here or the MLB Network. I mean, we're talking ESPN and we're we're watching. They had the uh, Roger Clemens 20 strikeout game the other day, the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game the other day. They had WrestleMania 30 on Sunday at 7 p.m. Yeah, yeah. Which, well, the NFL is going to prop everybody up for the next however many weeks. You know, we joke about like, you know, you know, other radio stations talking not- about nothing but the Eagles and nothing but the NFL. But I mean, that's going to like keep everybody afloat. Well, to give those you know, guys ESPN. a little bit of credit, like everyone likes to shit on on Philadelphia radio personalities. And listen, some are certainly better than others, but. Yeah, we do a show weekly and we're like, all right, hey, we talked for an hour. That's great. And and you guys, obviously, you know, you have the Flyers podcast, Anthony and I that have uh, the Philly stuff. Kev, you have the soccer stuff. But like we, we chime in two, three times a week, like for these guys to have to go on air every single day right now for two, three hours at a time. Like it's a that's a tough sell right now. That's a tough job for these guys. You know, I mean, it, in my opinion, I I. Don't envy them in that sense. I, I don't know what the hell you would talk about for three hours a day every day right now. Yeah, we've been talking for an hour and these guys are doing 20 hours a week. Yeah. You know, and I mean, they're taking phone calls and they're going to commercial breaks and stuff like that. And yeah, some of it does get repetitive when you when you play the hits, you know, as Mike Missanelli would tell you. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just the, the NFL is going to have to like kind of just put everybody on their shoulders right yeah. now and car- carry the sports media through uh the difficult times across the red sea and to wherever moses was going <laughs> bill gordon over on twitter asks, or i'm sorry on facebook asks uh what you guys are watching on tv to i guess get you through this well i'm, I'm doing an ozark story for the site tomorrow we crushed it we binged the whole the all 10 episodes of you're, the now you're, you're not gonna put any spoilers right we're gonna put in a warn a warning in there, like at the very top. Okay. Like, hey, so then I won't. Then I can't read it because I haven't seen season. But three. then you're gonna have to put the jump like right there, aren't you? Well, yeah, and then like dot 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 
blah, blah, my, blah. My wife has been watching stuff. a lot of uh, 90 Day Fiance, uh, so oh. I've been exposed to that. It's absolutely terrible. Love is Blind, though, on Netflix. Again, oh, my that, God. I wanted to watch yep. it. Oh, Bob. My the daughter was watching it. it. The my daughter was it. watching it, and I watched an episode with her, and I'm like, what are we watching? Dude, that this looks is asinine. Like, that looks like art compared to 90 Day Fiance. I will say that. Bob, is it good? I, I will recommend <laughs> I'm not a huge binge TV guy, but I have uh, watched, and we were talking about this in our Slack last week. I like Dave. Uh, that's a little dicky. He has his own show now on FXX. It's kind of stupid and like lighthearted. It's a comedy, but like I, I like that kind of silly humor and stuff like that. It's a little bit perverted. Um, I'm into that right now. That's five episodes deep. You can watch that um, kind of uh, on demand if you want. But uh, it, it's that and like office reruns in my house right now. I watch. Can I make an observation? Go ahead, Kevin. Please do. Um, it's kind of interesting how like the uh, the self quarantine and everybody being stuck in their house um, <laughs> kind of sheds light on like the kind of person you were growing up or like what your situation was growing up. Like I feel like the only children who spent a lot of time like by themselves or like and you know like found like creative things to do and stuff like that seem to be like doing all right it's funny to see like some of the people who were like bored as fuck after like one day of like sitting around in the house and couldn't like find anything to do you know or were, like um you know binging everything they could find on netflix it's just kind of funny to see like how different types of people are uh are, are are finding different things to do you know i started recording music again for the first time in like seven years all it took was a global pandemic for that to happen you know i hear that you have a, uh, an album in the works <laughs> that's going to drop sometime in the next couple months right yeah i don't know what the hell i'm doing here i just i um there are these guys um so there's this um like heavy metal grindcore band from like 20 years ago that was called pig destroyer and uh <laughs> these heavy these heavy <laughs> These heavy like metal guys um, who lived in California were like uh, huge baseball fans. Like I think they were LA Dodgers fans. So they did a spoof of Pig Destroyer called Puig Destroyer. And uh, all of the songs were about baseball. And it was just like them screaming into a microphone and like playing the guitars as hard as they can. And like, you know, the one song was about how terrible the ump is. And another song was called uh, Nobody Cares About Your Fantasy Baseball Team. And I was like, wow, this is like really like clever, you know, and all the songs are really short or whatever. I'm like, I should, I could do this with like a Philadelphia Eagles or whatever. So, so Kevin I just did what he them. does best. He copy pasted. Yeah. Control, <laughs> yeah. control C and control V. And I dropped like a bunch of Andy Reid and Stephen A. Smith and um, Skip Bayless sound bites in there. And then I have a recording studio in my house where I'm sitting right now. So I dropped these like pre-programmed drum beats in there. Which, so which track like, do you feel the best about right now? Like if I had to, like if you were going to release a single from this album, what, what would it be? I see Tiger. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really, I like this song called uh, Gotta Do a Better Job. And it's, it's, <laughs> I found like an old, I found like an old clip of Andy Reid saying, uh, it's, it's this, the song starts with Andy Reid and he's going, uh, we got to do a better job, <clears throat> uh, with turnovers. And then from there, it just goes into this like crazy, like fucking drumbeat. It's just like stupid. It makes me laugh, but it's like just a funny kind of like, spoof like creative kind of thing you know so i did the drums i did the drums i did the samples and actually while we're uh, recording this right now i'm i'm <clears throat> i'm reading about uh amp simulation and how to record guitar uh straight into straight into the computer without an amp so wow. russ what are you watching um, the only one thing to watch right now right here huh? if you're watching on the live stream 
<laughs> the Tiger King. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Anthony, have you watched Tiger King? Start to finish, man. Did you like it? I did. I mean, it, it, it was great. He's from Episode, Delco. Episodes three and four. I would have expected you to hate it. Like, you would be the guy that comes in and says, oh, like, I'm a, you're all, look you're what all he's animal. wearing. I'm a, I'm a documentary fan, man. I love, I love that stuff. Um, episodes three and four were by far the best. So it, it had a good buildup, and I think it kind of slowed down in the, the last few episodes. But, man, um, three and four were, were just tremendous. I, I feel but, compelled to watch it just so I understand all the memes out there right now. I feel like I'm missing uh, out. You, you got it. You got it. You, Bob, you have to watch it. it it's... It's so bad, it's good. I mean, it's that's what. Or, it, or as Bryce my, Harper called them once, memes. <laughs> my wife got so upset today because, uh, you know, Carol Baskin, she leads all of her videos off. Bob, you'll learn this when you watch it. But she says, uh, "What's going?" On? She's no, she's like, "Good morning, my cool cats and kittens." And my wife put on Netflix or Prime or something today, and the boys are watching Pete the Cat. And apparently that starts off the same way. They're like, hey, you cool cats and kittens. And she, it was the first time that we had watched it. And it was the same intro. And it was very upsetting because Carol Baskin probably, well, I guess I shouldn't say probably, allegedly, perhaps, may have fed her first husband to a tiger. Hey, you can, don't give that. You're, you're, you're breaking. You're letting this, the cat out of the bag, okay. so to speak here, Russ. Letting the cat out of the bag. Bob's going to watch spouse. it. Uh, I mean, I Bob's up probably that. Everyone's saying this, this woman's a murderer, so uh, I don't know. I'm looking. I'm not. Bob's really now more intrigued. Over the next month, like I'm going to trip into it. Like every time I open up Netflix, I'm like, nah, not tonight. But it's coming. It's coming. You, you have to. It's 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 worth it. I guarantee it's worth right. it. If you like documentaries, and I do, I think it's well. Fantastic. Don't f with cats. Really well was awesome. That was yeah, a really good one. Don't f with cats is fantastic. That was really good. I that was really that. good. I got a ton of doc- any any documentary you want. I will tell you, and I, I like a lot the, of the, the uh, true crime ones on Netflix too, like the Tom Segura. What's oh, the other yeah. dude? The guy that doesn't wear a shirt, Bert Kreischer, Machine. Yeah, Bert. The yeah, Machine. Yeah. He's also funny, I guess. Made. I don't know. Like I like stuff where I don't have to really pay attention. I can just like screw around on my phone and stuff, and it's like background noise. By the way, the name of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, death metal grindcore album is Worm Burner. Uh, and the cover art is Donovan McNabb puking. That's awesome. <laughs> it's in honor of um, you know every pass that Donovan would throw into the ground at least hey, once per once or twice per hey, game. Hey Kev, when when we reconvene next week, can you bring can you bring back the uh, Mount Rushmore? <laughs> yeah, well, t- well t- there'll be plenty of time for Mount Rushmore as <laughs> well. We're all locked down here. And yeah, let's in bring back the Mount Rushmore next week. It's one it was one of my favorite bits, and we always used to rush through it because we were in Mount the studio. Rushmore sanitation products we never now we're time. Time. yeah hey let me um i was just re i was going through the queue of stories that i wrote over the last week to see if there's anything that we wanted to touch on you didn't write that um, many say what say you didn't write that many uh i wrote like eight per day every day since the like i'm i'm uh i have not stopped uh since the we went into lockdown i've only gotten stronger actually i would say Sam over on Twitter says that you should do the Mount Rushmore of bad Rust takes. Uh, everyone, Mount Rushmore. Every, every single. Yep. DeAndre Hopkins goes right on there as Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the Allen Iverson, Russell Westbrook take goes on there well, as uh, who else is the on there? Hopkins Jefferson, thing on there? I was right about because you, you guys, you got, yeah, I was, I was because what? Five months after I said it, they traded him for a bag of balls. 
but they weren't going to do it in season because they were Five stupid. They should. They would have maximized. I bet you they would have gotten a better package mid mid season. They weren't going anywhere. Anywhere. Uh, Allen Iverson they going anywhere. They were uh, up twenty three points on the Stanley on the Super Bowl champions in the first quarter. Remind me, did they of, win? Of a, no, oh, they but they, they, okay. they that's, that's how close they were, that's, Russ. That's okay. They weren't going anywhere. Close doesn't count. It's not hand grenades. Never mind. I you know I don't even know at this point. Uh, Russ can't get away from this like part of his persona where he has to do like takes. You know, there's got to be a take in there. Uh, I organize all of mine into. Yeah, right. I organize all of mine into uh, columns. Go ahead. Uh, No, sorry. I was hearing feedback in here. Um, Did you guys read the special guest version of the 50 hot takes column? I did. Yeah. Deuces Rogers came through big for that. We talked about about that last week. Bob missed that. We did this last week. Yeah, but we didn't really talk. We we read through his, but. that was pretty much it. I was just going to say, I don't know how I got 50 people to respond to me, but um, but they did. So that was kind of like a personal victory. Um, la, 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 la. What did you guys think of? Um, oh, of course, the Wawa. I did the story about the, it was the Wawa in Port Richmond, of course, the Aramingo Wawa. That was the, had the first uh, positive case. I don't know why people, why did it take Wawa so long to shut down the touch screens? Like, why were people ordering off of touch screens anyway? Like, why was that a thing? And I don't want to fucking hear about sheets, Russ. So don't even bring up sheets. But like, why were people ordering made to go anything anyway? You know? Have Which you guys had worse. food delivered to your homes uh, in the last two weeks? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it's funny how this has progressed. Like, two weeks ago, the guy came up to, to like, the door, rings the doorbell. We, like, do the interaction. And I'm like, all right, I guess. And then he hands me his cell phone, and he says, you got to sign your name. I said, on, on your cell phone? And he goes, yeah. He go, And he hands it to me. I'm like, this is this is friggin' disgusting. Like, I don't want to touch your phone. He goes, yeah, it's clean. I've been cleaning it every 20 minutes. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> I almost did not order from the same place again. Like, uh, this was like on Friday. I was like, I don't want to order from this guy. I was like, I don't want him to have to, like, give me his phone. I When I ordered, I said, are you still doing the cell phone thing? And they said, no, we're not doing it. I said, okay, I'll order two pizzas then. So now – the guy comes up, he he like calls me, he says, I'm out front, I'm dropping the, the pizza box off in your driveway, come pick it up. No contact, wasn't within 10 feet of this guy. I sprayed down the pizza box with Lysol, and then I brought it in the house. I'm you are like, actually you opened are it up pile. and sprayed your pizza down. You got to spray down the cardboard, man. You, there's no way I'm going to lock myself in the house for th- two months and then, and then get it on cardboard. I'm not taking that chance. It's ridiculous. I've been exposed to it 10 times over. What's that? I've been walking around. You've I've probably been, been exposed to COVID-19 10 times over. In no. your profession, come on. The amount of people that you come across in a, in a given day, we've all been exposed to it. The amount of people that I came across in a given day, that all stopped on... Uh, well, Bob, let me, make, let me say this to you. And I talked about this with Russ yesterday. When I was sick back in January, okay? And, and Kevin was sick too, but I, I had... The COVID nineteen symptoms back yeah. then, I, significantly so. We were in the same studio. It's true. You didn't get it then. Anthony proudly, you know, boasting about potentially exposing <laughs> like all this like, to COVID nineteen. I had, it first. I had you know, it first. We can give me hell because of Hopkins, but no, no, no. Let's let let's let this guy with the sun hat. Let's just let him go. It's fine. I'm just I'm just happy he's okay. So I'm not gonna give him a hard time about his I only put I only put this hat and the sunglasses on for for our fans today who who requested it. 
I'm sure they were piling in by the, Where the, the heart dark I got a tweet. I, I literally was uh, five minutes before I logged into this whereby thing. I, there were I, there was a tweet saying, can't wait to see with what Anthony's wearing tonight. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go find something real quick. This is these were the first two things I found and came and sat down. I literally was not going to wear anything tonight. Thanks for literally there. Literally. 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 First ever. Wow. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to be on my merry way here. I don't know if you're going to continue. I think it's time. Yeah, no, is that it? I, I, I want to go. <laughs> yeah. it's I think it's time. It's 1030. All right, we'll be back Ross, next do week. Do, do you have to do a, 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 a acknowledge a sponsor or something? I don't know. I mean, we could. So I, I guess at this point, we'll just say that our, our friends over, obviously, we've got DraftKings Sportsbook, who we love, and Odd Logic Brewing Company, who we love. Odd Logic Brewing Company, they're working on doing uh, some more, I guess, up at their location at 500 Bristol Pike and Bristol, PA. You can go there. You can um, do the contactless uh, pickup available at their facility. Um, I think they're trying to figure out potentially doing some kind of a delivery system. Uh, I would just check their Facebook page for that. Uh, I did reach out to them to see if they have any idea of what's going on. I, I think they're just playing it by ear at this point, so I didn't want to do a, a full read thing. What I will tell you is you should go over to their site um, and, and maybe buy a gift card. This is probably the best way that you can you know, give a direct infusion of capital into small businesses and especially restaurants and, and breweries is to buy merchandise or to buy gift cards to help them stay afloat through this uh, really tough time, especially in the restaurant and the, and the brewery industry. So uh, go give them a look, 500 Bristol Pike and Bristol PA. Anything else? That'll be it. Good job, I like gentlemen. that Bob couldn't stay for the 45 seconds for that. Messed Bob up the video. Come on, Bob. Anyway, thanks for checking in. Don't forget, follow us over on Twitter at CrossingBcast. We're over on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash crossingbroadcast. You see on the bottom here uh, all the Twitter handles at Kevin underscore Kincaid, at Ant Sanfilly, at Bob Wankel CB, at Joy on Broad. And now it's just me and you, pal. Anthony, we're the, we're the last two, the last of the Mohegans, right? Isn't that the movie? Is that the song? I don't know what it is. Anyway, thanks see for you, checking Ross. in. We'll be back next Monday. Oh, it's just me. All right, it's time to go. See everybody.